at 9, Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time, so we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast about movies because movies. My name is Corey. And my name is Jeff. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing fantastic as always, Corey. That is great to hear. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Corey. Do you know what a script doctor is? I assume it's a doctor who gives prostate exams to screenwriters. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not, not quite, although... Kind of. <laughs> all right. All so, right. I, I don't know. No, it's it's a it's a writer who gets brought in to fix a broken script or a broken piece of a script. Oh, you know, the only time I'd ever heard of this before was with Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Yes. And I heard him. I heard. I mean, I don't know how true this is, but I heard that he was the script doctor, as you call them. Yep. On the nuclear submarine movie Crimson Tide. <laughs> does not seem like a Quentin Tarantino vehicle. You know, I, I thought that also, but then when I rewatched the movie, there's a really interesting section where Denzel Washington speaks to a crew member and starts going off on comic books and which Silver Surfer was the better Silver Surfer. Now, you wouldn't think that kind of a line would be in a movie about a nuclear submarine. So I'm right. thinking that's where the Tarantino service was given. Yeah, that like uh, everyday conversation put into a film. <laughs> Yeah, so Quentin Tarantino is probably one of the more famous script doctors. He and another dialogue specialist uh, named Aaron Sorkin. Have you heard of him? I have heard of ever, him. Ever heard Mr. of Mr. West Wing? Yeah. Mr. Sports Night? So they were actually script doctors together on a film <laughs> about... Uh, you Could know, you imagine the amount of cocaine and mushrooms <laughs> that are going on in that writer's room? Right. They were both script doctors for a Michael Bay film, believe it or not. Uh, that we all know and love, that we actually had an entire episode about. By the called... way, I can believe it because Michael Bay <laughs> films are very devoid of any kind of dialogue. That's true. It's all just explosions and, you know, uh, no plot. <laughs> Plot-driven explosions. <laughs> but they, they script-doctored the, the Rock, right? Cool. That's cool. Yeah, and according to the sort of research that I did, uh, not in the way that you would necessarily expect, because like we just said, Quentin Tarantino's sort of his big thing was natural conversation, dialogue in movies that, you know, exactly what we just Dialogue or dialogue? Dialogue. <laughs> <clears throat> natural sounding dialogue uh, about real world stuff. But he didn't really touch up the dialogue in The Rock. Sorkin touched up the dialogue in The Rock. But I think that's like, um, that's almost like you having. Uh, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln in the same room. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? It's like, well, who's going to be more poignant? <laughs> who's going to be the Who's going to be the one who's president if they're both in the same room or on mm. an election? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they just end up being, you know, in the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, well, one of them is going to have to take the lead. And I got to say, Sorkin is kind of like, you know, wordmaster. Sure, sure. I mean, when you when you think about it, there's a moment in The Rock where. There is a hypodermic needle plunge to a chest that is very similar to one scene that is in Pulp Fiction. So, 
you know, you, you can kind of see their stamps, even though you don't really get Tarantino's dialogue. You do get some of his more gritty, visceral, action-y type stuff. That's the thing about the script doctor stuff is, is it's sometimes it's they rewrite a specific character. Sometimes they rewrite um, just a particular scene. Sometimes they just do a pass for jokes. Sometimes they, you know, like they bring in somebody to write a love scene or something like that. It's never really like heavy handed usually. Uh, and that's typically why they go mostly uncredited. Right. But there was an Internet <clears throat> sort of uh, firestorm that got reawakened. Uh, about firestorm. Yeah, it's from about a decade. The movie ago. firestorm? No, not the okay, movie firestorm. A uh, a like internet troll movie fan firestorm. <laughs> okay. Uh, they got reawakened uh, from an argument that started basically like a decade ago from a movie that was made in the late 1990s. Uh, that apparently was written by a well-known horror writer. Horrible writer? No. A horror writer. Okay, just make sure it's not a horrible screenwriter. A horror writer. Horror. Yeah. So let's discuss this horror writer on this episode of Because Movies. Recently, a Twitter user named at goddammit Sarah posted a screen grab of their Google search for who wrote She's All That. And the first answer that pops up is none other than M. Night Shyamalan. Well, you know, Corey, they say it takes a village to write a screenplay. <laughs> yes, it does. Often, oftentimes, there's many writers' hands. Village, yes. Uh, but anyway, Gabrielle Union retweets this, <laughs> and then it gets picked up by like Patton Oswalt and a whole bunch. Of, that's where I saw it, um, and it sort of devolves into this internet argument again about people who refuse to believe that it's true, right? Because he's not credited on it. Um, that it's it's weird that he would show up as first on this Google search because he is uncredited. He's not credited on it. And then there's a whole bunch of people that were fighting the good fight and trying to you know find evidence to prove that it's real but there's there's like not a lot of evidence to like grasp at because most of it is not like on the internet anymore so Corey, i want your honest opinion uh which side are you on are there a lot of signs that it is <laughs> that he was the writer is this fact an unbreakable opinion <laughs> it's gonna be the whole episode isn't it it is okay well uh, what I will say is that I did fall into a bit of a internet rabbit hole tracking down articles from the early mid, early to mid 2000s. So, you know, 2000s, huh? Mm, okay. Corey, who does deep dives on Twitter comments? I mean, really, dude. Stay tuned next week where we do a deep dive into the real Robin Hood. Back to the show. <laughs> but serious, yeah. seriously, Corey, who does that? Who no, does that? yeah, you're, you're not wrong, Jeff, but uh, also us. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to it it is true uh what did you find all right so when the dvd for she's all that was released 
Director Robert Isgrove mentions on his commentary track, you know what, actually, um, I just realized that it, like, DVDs haven't really been a thing for a while, and uh, the term commentary track might be a bit of a foreign concept for some listeners. So Many. You see, kids, back in the day, <laughs> movies for home viewing came on a shiny disc that beamed onto our televisions with the help of a fine-tuned laser beam. No, so futuristic. Part of the appeal of these Space Age movie discs was the addition of bonus features. Not only did you get the movie, but you also got behind-the-scenes making of featurettes, blooper reels, and audio commentary tracks. A real movie lover's delight. The audio commentary was basically a one-episode podcast, often with the director or stars of the film talking over the film, which prevented you from watching it. But in the 90s, somehow we didn't care. We did not. The commentary gave us insights, info, on how the film was made. But now that I think of it, that was a fucking annoying way to watch a movie. <laughs> a little bit. It's kind of like your annoying cousin, or maybe spoiler-heavy podcast partner, ruining every minute of a film in real time. Kids, if you come across your parents' DVDs, I would really stay away from those commentary tracks especially if it's your first time watching a movie. And definitely don't tweet Corey about the movie Departed because he will ruin the ending. Oh, Jesus, I'm never going to let that down. Never. Never. But on Iskro's comedy, uh, commentary track, he mentions that, in fact, M. Night Shyamalan was brought on as a script doctor to polish the original script by R. Lee Fleming Jr. So we've got M., Night Shyamalan and yeah. R. Lee Fleming. Yeah. Was there a stipulation or something that this film could only be written by writers with first initials? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was a maybe it's a guild thing. Maybe I mean, or maybe they all came from Home Improvement. Remember Home Home Improvement? All the kids. I do. They were like all had like the the middle initial. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, the middle middle names for sure. Yeah, it was ridiculous that that they could shorten into like JTT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all had three names. Yeah. I was like, why do you guys all have three names? Like uh, uh, people who assassinate other people. They always have three names. Yeah, wait. Has anybody checked on those kids? Oh, that's true. Ooh. We need you to check what? on the kids from Home yeah. Improvement. Get back to us. Have any of them bought The Catcher in the Riley? <laughs> yeah. Find out what you find and then tweet us at Switch Envelope <laughs> or on Instagram. What's at that Switch younger kid doing? Come on. We, De definitely. Definitely the definitely younger Definitely has, has a manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> He's got something on the internet somewhere. <laughs> Wait, didn't this film come out like seven months before anybody really knew who M. Night Shyamalan was? Why would the director be name-dropping M. Night Shyamalan's name? <laughs> well, I, suppose, I suppose when the DVD for She's All That was released, it was well after Shyamalan was already sitting on top of his huge success of The Sixth Sense, right? Uh, so at that point, I, I guess it would be at least of some interest to note that the writer's or the year's biggest writer slash director had something to do with this film. The Sixth Sense was the second highest grossing film of that year. I guess it makes six sense oh, to mention his name. Maybe Robert Icegrove was ready to admit that he sees ghostwriters. <laughs> I think that's it. I don't have any, I don't think I have any more. I don't think I have any more. <laughs> I'm tapped thinking, out. I don't know I don't know any more of his movies. <laughs> no 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 more puns are <laughs> happening. <laughs> all right now we're tapped out all right now we're tapped out we don't have any more movies all right. so Shyamalan <laughs> mentions in an interview back in 2002 on a website I could not find that was linked from another article that I was reading in 2013 
Okay. <laughs> that he did, in fact, do some polishing on the script. But at the time, that went relatively unnoticed. Then, in May of 2013, he did another interview, which was also linked in the article that I was reading, <laughs> with <laughs> the also now defunct website, <laughs> movies.com, where he stepped up his claim saying, I quote, ghost wrote, she's all that. Not just a polished job as a script doctor, but this was M. Night Shyamalan claiming to have fully rewritten this script. Damn, M. Night was a ghost the whole time? (laughs) I did not see that coming. (laughs) No, no, we didn't. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to try to continue. R. Lee Fleming Jr. remembered him. Uh, sorry, fuck. <laughs> R. Lee Fleming Jr. Remember him from earlier as the credited writer of this film? Yeah. Well, he did not take that, <laughs> that quote well. Fleming vehemently denied Shyamalan's claim and even went out as far as to tweet that Shyamalan was the writer of this film only, quote, in his own mind. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a he said, he said situation. Writer against writer, Bitch slapping each other with scripts. What the hell? <laughs> just just the, the notes section in a final draft comment. Exactly. <laughs> Commenting on each other's scripts. I wrote this script. You wrote this script. Fuck you, this I is my this. line. <laughs> but we got to know, did Shyamalan write it or not? Well, in 2013, a guy named Jack Lechner left a comment in an article about the writer drama on the site. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Is he related to Hannibal Lechner? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> You know what? That didn't come up in my research, but I'll get back to you. All right. All right. So he drops his comment on themarysue.com, stating that, quote, Arlie Fleming wrote the script we bought, which is recognizably the same movie you saw if you saw She's All That. M. Night Shyamalan did an uncredited rewrite on the script and a very good one that got the movie greenlit. This guy Lechner, apparently, was the head of Miramax development back in the 1990s. Basically, the guy responsible for launching the careers of Tarantino, Kevin Smith, and of course, Troy Duffy. Of course. I call bullshit. Some dude on the internet just claims to be this ex-executive of Miramax and everyone just accepts it. Yes, it could have been a, a, a real heavy trolling situation. Yeah, uh, we, we looked at the internet a little differently in 2013, didn't we? <laughs> yes. So, sort of, but not, not quite. Entertainment Weekly actually did reach out to the real Jack Lechner to find, uh, to sort of fact check that comment, right? Uh, And he confirmed that it was his. (laughs) And he also added that Shyamalan, quote, did more than a polish. He did a solid rewrite. He made it deeper, made the characters richer. (laughs) We're talking about she's all that, right? We are. Just making sure. I mean, this is Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. Paul Walker before. Before he was in Fast Cars. Yeah, Dulé Hill, okay. the, whole, the whole bit. Yeah. Uh, he also adds that he can, quote, see how Fleming would say it's his movie and see how M. Night would say that it's his movie. They are both right. Um, it's definitely, I think we can call it fact that M. Night had a hand in it. Right? Yes. It sounds like he punched it up enough that got the studio interested in actually making the film. Which does not say a whole lot for Harley Fleming Jr.'s original script. <laughs> well, I will say that... <laughs> like, oh, that's an interesting concept, but, you know, let's uh, spice it up a little. I think one problem with M. Night Shyamalan is that he does not have his own style. Hmm. You cannot listen to M. Night Shyamalan and think, well, that's a M. Night Shyamalan style. You know, we were talking before about Aaron yeah, Sorkin yeah. and Quentin Tarantino. 
you hear something from Quentin Tarantino and you think, or at least we want to think that, oh, that's a Quentin Tarantino style, like the dialogue. Yeah. Or same thing with Aaron Sorkin. He has that very quick, quippy, intelligent style. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. I don't know I get that from Shyamalan. All we know about him is that he has these weird endings. Plot twists. Yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. plot twist guy. Great plot twist. And She's All That doesn't have a plot twist. He also he also has a really, really good way of like setting a tone, I think. But, but yeah, that's a director style. No, that's no, no, not no, really no, no. I'm saying like, like even, even in his writing, he, he sets like a mood very well. That he he then well of course he can translate his own <laughs> sort of mood setting to directing because it's all in his head but like exactly just like you know that movie that had the daughter of the guy from Happy Days and the brother of the guy from Stand by Me what was that movie <laughs> wait what <laughs> remember it was like the daughter of the guy from Happy Days right Ron da- Howard's daughter and yeah. then the brother of the guy from Stand by Me River Phoenix and they were in a movie together. Walk, oh, the village. Walk, yeah, that one. Walking. Oh, the village. Okay. <laughs> Shit. M Night Shyamalan's movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the dialogue in there is really basic. It's like kind of. It's very slow. Very basic. There's nothing in it that's very exciting. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not about the dialogue. It's about like the sort of imagery that he comes up with. Exactly. That's the, what I'm saying. Yeah. In his movies, it's not about the dialogue. There's but not a lot of dialogue. Apparently, he did real, real character study, deep dive, like. And she's all that. And she's all that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about. I don't believe it. I don't feel it. I mean, according to the executive producer, they only bought it after. You realize they, they only greenlit the, it after. You realize that this it. movie was completely made fun of for like years to come. It became of a trope. How yeah. stupid it is. Well, I mean, it's based on Shakespeare, so it's not entirely stupid. But the idea that she completely transforms. Oh, basically it's, not, it's, her, not, it's not based on Shakespeare. It's not. I don't think. No. What What is it based on? She completely transforms because she takes off her glasses. Pygmalion? Is that what Is that what this is based I on? I think so. But she completely transforms because she takes off her glasses. Yeah, I bet that was Arlie Fleming. But the hacky sack part, M. Night, <laughs> all the way. What? Don't let it fall. Like he goes into a dark space there about like, like uh, you know, if he if he lets the the hacky sack fall, he'll disappoint his old family. <laughs> like if it's a it's you know it's symbolism for his own life and the pressures well, he feels to produce. Remember, in the end, the twist ending. He actually gets naked. And does graduation nude. It's true. See yeah. the twist ended? Yeah, twists. Twists and turns. Right? He didn't get the girl. <laughs> he didn't win the bet. He lost the bet. Yeah, it's true. And then we all learned a valuable lesson. I don't know what that is. That like uh, naked teenagers were okay in the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> now. We just gloss over the Now that's the definitely real because movies. <laughs> that's because movies. Because how could they not see Freddie Prince Jr. walking onto a field naked? How could no teachers go out in there and go, excuse me, sir, you have to have your robe on. That's true. And how could they not see him sitting there naked? All the assistant principals going, hey, um, why are you naked? Yeah, I feel like that would have been stomped out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just holding a volleyball or something. He was holding like a, a hacky water sack. polo. No, he was holding. Like- <laughs> no, he was. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was a water polo ball or a volleyball or something like that. Yeah. I think like, also that there's something that to the writer's room that we don't ever talk about, which is sometimes the movie, when a writer, not not like the general public, but when a writer reads a script, they're reading it for things like conflict, resolution, mm-hmm. uh, setting. Is there um, a strong third act? Characters, yeah. the, the, what the plot happened. And I think yeah. that when you're looking for, and then we've talked about this before when they're talking about like how many, how many conflicts happen per page, how mm-hmm. many... 
how often the resolution will happen, what the resolution of the conflict is. I think when you get down to the nitty-gritty, I think that's what he would come in for. Sure. I don't think it's a script doctor. He would be coming in to do things that we're talking about, which is general changes. I mm. think as a script doctor, he would be coming in for the really nitty-gritty things if they said, like, I don't think there—I think somebody came up to them and said, this—the resolution of this conflict isn't Strong correct. Enough, yeah. We need something to— make this movie better because the way I see this movie, it'll end. The ending isn't right for me. Yeah. The, the original ending might have been that he gets, gets the girl and yeah. And they're like, resolve this better for us. Let's see what the resolve is. Or like, like Mr. Twist ending was like, he doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I keep going back to the, the hacky sack scene because I don't know why you're on this hacky sack scene, but because that is the moment in the scene where Freddie Prince Jr.'s character becomes likable. Right. Otherwise, he's just one of the the sort of popular douchebags that is betting on whether or not he can make a girl popular. You don't really get a sense of like him as a person until he becomes vulnerable in that moment. Right. I guess. I mean, I think that might be something. There's many parts throughout the movie where that happens. There's many parts of the part that's that's echoed in uh, what's it called the one of the most vulnerable parts of the movie is echoed in the uh, not another teen movie. And it's the part <laughs> where she ta- shows him her art. Yeah. And, you know, in not another teen movie. It's like stick figures, you know, but yeah, yeah. but like in in the real <laughs> thing, it's like Pollock paintings. Sure. Yeah. Like, no, she's, they she's like a really Pollock good artist. Paintings. Yeah. But they're like just like scatters of, of paint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. So I, we we may never really fully get like a a good explanation about who wrote what specifically, but I, I think it's very clear that M Night Shyamalan had a heavier hand than usual in She's All That. So Corey, um, we've been focusing a lot on maybe three script doctors right now: M Night sure. Shyamalan, Quentin Tarantino, and Mister Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. There's one out there in a galaxy far, far away. Josh Whedon. No, he's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Corey. Sorry. Sorry. And for over a decade, starting in the early 90s, one of the most coveted and well-used script doctors in Hollywood was none other than Princess Leia herself. What? Carrie Fisher. No way. Yeah. She didn't just do the burbs. She actually (laughs) did other things. Yeah. In 1987, she wrote a book based on her drug addiction and overdose titled Postcards from the Edge. You may have seen the movie. Maybe. Corey has not. I have not. Her ability to write well-rounded female characters and sharp, humorous dialogue caught the attention of Steven Spielberg, who then asked her to rewrite the character of Tinkerbell for his film, Hook. Hmm. From there, she sort of became Hollywood's best-kept secret, writing punch-ups for films such as The River Wild, The Last Action Hero, and Outbreak. We probably shouldn't mention The Last Action Hero, right, uh, right Corey? I mean... I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> eh, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think. Uh, she's not responsible. Schwarzenegger even puts it on that she, on his list. Look, she's not responsible for whether or not the movie, as in a whole, is actually good. Just you know, like that one character was cool. <laughs> well, Whoopi Goldberg brought her on to help with the script for Sister Act. Really lovable film. I love Sister Act. It's one of my favorite films. And Made in America, another film that she should not refer to ever. Yeah, that's the Ted Danson Whoopi Goldberg film. Uh, the film where Ted Danson actually, I think, left his wife. For Whoopi Goldberg. For Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Fisher then gave a woman's touch to Rene Russo's character in Lethal Weapon 3, which is a fantastic, fantastic character. I think it's part of why the third movie in that franchise 
just sort of surpasses the sequel, right? Yeah, Rene Russo's part yeah. is awesome. Yeah. She did rewrites for So I Married an Axe Murderer. You know, interesting fun fact about So I Married an Axe Murderer. When she did the rewrites, the star of the film that was tied to it was yeah. actually Chevy Chase. Damn, I love Chevy Chase. Yeah, that would have been a completely different movie. With Very different Chevy movie. Chase. And you know what? That At that time, that was still not bad Chevy Chase. No, that was like like uh, uh, only like five years past Fletch. Chevy Chase? No, Fletch was in 1885. Uh, so, the next murder was like 94? Uh, maybe 10 years. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, a little little past, but... Yeah, once you get to Vegas vacation, Chevy Chase, <laughs> that's where it's like, okay, he's downhill. lost, he's yeah, lost we're, something. We're downhill. Once, no, you get to, once you get to sober Chevy Chase, that's where you're like, okay. But yeah, she she did script doctoring for So I Married an Axe Murder when Chevy Chase was the star, but then Mike, when Mike Myers was brought on, he like completely retooled a bunch of the characters to fit like his characters that he made him British, uh, Scottish. Yeah. What What else did she do? She did rewrites for Intolerable Cruelty and even had a hand in Scream Three, My Girl Two, The Wedding Singer, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I love that movie. It's so really, cute. It's really good. Among others. Fisher stopped, though. She stopped doctoring scripts in the, as Corey says, mid-2000s. It's the correct way to say it, Jeff. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because the nature of the business of script doctoring had turned from trusted gun for hire to basically unpaid idea farming. Sad. When the work became free labor, Carrie saw it as life-wasting events. And with a younger trove of writers willing to come in and play the game, she simply started to do new things. That is a flex, by the way. <laughs> She's just like, fuck it. I'm going to do something else. <laughs> exactly. So we want to tell everybody, if you ever wonder what happened to somebody, what happened to an actress, what happened to an actor, and you think maybe they went behind the camera, just think maybe they picked up a pen. Yeah. No, that's fun. Uh, who knew Princess Leia influenced basically all of the 90s? <laughs> who knew that she did Sister Act? Sister Act is so good. No idea. Okay, Corey. Take us out. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Switch the Envelope. Uh, if you like what you heard, please subscribe if you aren't already. Uh, follow us on all the social medias. Um, rate and review where, wherever you can, I guess. I don't know. I did that kind of ass backwards in, in, a, in a puzzle. It's fine. You know it's what, Jeff? Fine. Can you doctor that up a little bit? I can doctor that up. Okay, cool. And if you are not following us on social media, go to Switch the Envelope on Instagram or Switch Envelope on Twitter. You'll be talking to Corey mostly on Twitter because Corey is the badass on our Twitter. I'm the one that does the deep dives on those comments. <laughs> yes. My so if you have is... any complaints about our show, please go to Corey on Twitter at Switch Envelope. <laughs> Nothing but researching weird internet meme origins. <laughs> yep, that's me. Uh, of course, you can always go to SwitchTheEnvelope.com for all your Switch the Envelope needs. As far as I'm concerned, go watch She's All That. And we'll because see Because she is all that. She is, in fact. Well, once she removes her glasses and lets down her hair, she is, in fact, Are all you that. saying that women are not, not as good when they're, when they're not as pretty, Corey? Only in that movie and every trope that... Okay. <laughs> every movie that's used that trope. <laughs> um, it, it was rightly um, satired and made fun of, I think, because <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> but other than that, uh, you know, we love you. Go see some movies, and we'll see you later, Switches. Bye, Switches. Switch the Envelope is written and produced by Jeff and Corey. Switch the Envelope is a Riff Laugh production. Switch the Envelope is mixed at Studio 85.